Welcome back to another episode of the Emerge podcast. My name is Tom Neely, Housing Sector Lead at Berwick Partners. This is the podcast where we aim to discuss some of the key issues facing leaders. And today, I was delighted to be joined by someone who I've known for a long time, Nick Atkin, Chief Executive of Yorkshire Housing. In this episode, we talk through Nick's career, from being appointed Chief Executive of Holton Housing at the age of 36, right through to returning back home to Yorkshire to take the helm at Yorkshire Housing. We debate the future of work and also Yorkshire Housing hub, home and roam approach to improve collaboration and flexibility in the workplace. I hope you enjoy the episode. And if you do, please do like and subscribe. Firstly, welcome and thank you for joining us on the Berwick Partners podcast Emerge. For our sins, we've known each other for quite a number of years now. But the listeners who may not know you as well, can you uh, give us a brief introduction of yourself and, and your organisation? Yeah, oh, well, thanks for, for having me along, uh, Tom, really appreciate it. Um, so uh, I'm Nick Atkin, I'm Chief Exec of Yorkshire Housing, uh, where I've been for the last two and a half years now. Um, and prior to that, I've worked in a variety of housing associations, a local authority, and also I uh, worked for the Ofsted equivalent for housing uh, several years ago that some people may remember. Brilliant. Thanks, Nick. And Nick, I'm keen to talk to, talk to us a bit more about your journey from that those days right through to the present day. So can you share with us a bit about your journey, but also some of the challenges you've faced along the way to, to becoming Chief Executive? Yeah, I suppose um, I'm one of those rare people who actually chose to go into housing. So I, uh, I sort of originally from from Donny, um, and much to my dad's um, disbelief, I decided to go to Manchester Uni. Um, and so it took him about a year to literally come across the Pennines to see me because he couldn't bring himself to do it. Um, and uh, I went there, did geography with environmental studies, the last two years of which were all housing. And that's why I just got the housing bug. I just thought, wow, this is like amazing. Uh, left uni and uh, had two options. Um, one, to work as a graduate store manager for B&Q in Penrith. Um, or um, secondly, to go and work for Warrington Council. So um, my career choice was made on the basis that I don't like the cold and I thought it's going to be bloody, <laughs> it's going to be bloody cold in Penrith in a big warehouse somewhere. So uh, I went for went for Warrington and, and so um, loved it there, sort of real sort of frontline housing, really sort of learned, um, you know, all the sort of core skills. Then went on to work for um, what was Northern Counties, which is now Guinness in Manchester, uh, managed... Uh, some very challenging areas of, of Manchester, um, sort of north and east Manchester, um, and also Wally Range, and then uh, moved from there to Blackburn, um, and uh, again, then moved to the Midlands. I worked for what was William Sutton, which is now Clarion, um, and covered the whole of the West Mids. And uh, from there, where did I go from there? Oh, yeah, that's when I went to the Audit Commission's Housing Inspectorate. Uh, which I think was a bit of a springboard for my career, I suppose. Um, and I think it was one of those roles where it's a bit of a, an ace card, but you only get to play it once. Yeah. And uh, that was when, after then, I got my first chief exec role. So that was at Holton. Yeah. Biggest challenge, Tom, probably was I was still very young comparatively then. <laughs> um, I think it says you're laughing. I was 36. Um, so um, I remember at the interview, uh, one of the panel was trying to ask in a roundabout way, um, are you too young for this? Um, and I suppose just in my normal Doncaster straight talking way, I just sort of said, 
if the question you're trying to ask me is, am I too young and inexperienced for this role? Let me try and help you out. And then proceeded to sort of um, basically just tell it how it was and what I thought and how I, what my vision was for Holton. And, and um, you know, one of those points where you look at the panel and they're all smiling and you think, yeah, that went that went well, but that was a high-risk gamble to take that approach. That could have backfired horribly. Um, so I suppose... Um, yeah, for me, I just think I've been just been incredibly lucky. Um, I think people have given me an opportunity. People have taken a gamble on me, sometimes when they shouldn't have done, probably. I, I probably wasn't ready for, for some of the roles, but um, I think it's just about, you know, throw, putting your both feet in and, and really sort of giving it your best shot. Um, I think for me, it's about not letting others trying to stop you. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. I do think sometimes we, we put a lot of barriers in, in our own way. And I think it's just about actually sort of thinking, you know what, sometimes you only need to know 2% more than the person opposite you to sound credible. So uh, so, so I've, I've worked my career on that basis, really. So uh, just know 2% more than the person opposite. And, and you know, I, I think I am dead lucky because I just think I, I do genuinely, even now, look sometimes when I'm mis- a shave in the morning, I look in the mirror, and I first I think, God, God, I've aged. Who's that old guy looking back at me? Uh, but I think the 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 thing I think I can't believe sometimes I've blagged my way into into these roles, and I think it's that thing about everybody has that self doubt, everybody mm-hmm. has that little voice that says you can't do this. Oh, we're going to get found out. Ooh, and I think it's just about having the the sort of courage and convictions and sort of saying, well, actually, everybody feels like that, and actually, you know, it's it's just about really sort of getting on with it and and being um authentic and and honest i suppose is is my sort of approach to life and i think because ultimately your position in any organization or any business is is on merit it's on how others perceive you how others think about you um not your job title you know so so there is that thing about you know you have to establish credibility with with um not just your peers, but everybody in the business. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty straight talking. I'm pretty stereotypical Yorkshire. I'm quite quite careful with money, um, and um, but also just don't you know I don't try not to take myself too seriously either. I think you know having fun at work is one of those weird things that people sort of almost go, "What do you mean you're having fun at work?" You know you. But, you know, you spend your best waking hours at work. So I just think you've got to enjoy it. Um, and I think if you're happy and you relax, you deliver a far, far, far better set of results. And also, you know, if you're happy and relaxed, it means you're more likely to, to stay around. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned then you joined Holton as a kind of as a young CEO in, in the sector at, at 36. And there's probably quite a few people that, may have raised an eyebrow there and you went for it you decided to take that plunge and, and obviously take that do you, do you think the challenges of that and also some of your previous background do you think that's now shaped the way that you lead Yorkshire housing oh, what a good question um never never thought of it that way but yeah I think I think it probably has I think I always I always try and look around and learn from from others around me um, and I think I've been really fortunate to have worked alongside or worked for some some people who I just am in awe of. You know, I just think they're they're amazing at what they do. And I and you know, there are some people that I watch and learn from and think, 
Um, that's really clever. I'm really sort of, I really do like how they've done that. The, the odd person that you come across that you think, mm, I'm not sure I'd ever want to be viewed or seen doing that. So I won't be doing that. Met note to self. So, that you know, there is that, there is a flip side to it. But I think invariably, you know, I think my my sort of take on things is, is a bit of, bit of karma. What goes around comes around, whatever phrase you want to put on it. So, you know, I do think that you, you, you have to try and give something back as well. So, I, I, as I said before, I've been incredibly lucky and incredibly fortunate and people have had faith and, and, and confidence in me, you know, at, at stages when it was a gamble. Um, and so, you know, my sort of take on that is that I need to, and I do, sort of, you know, help and support others as they're coming through on their career. Um, it's also a bit of an insurance politics. I think if it all goes horribly wrong, I might end up working for them. So uh, <laughs> I might need to go to them for a job. So, um, but you know, it's it's a great sector to work in. It's incredibly frustrating as well, and 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 irritating sometimes in terms of you know some of the things that that are done or the way that they're done. But we're just so lucky to work in housing, and I, I love the fact that you know we make we make a massive difference to so many people's lives, and I think sometimes. You get a bit distant from that. You get stuck in reports and numbers, and sometimes you just got to get out and see it and go, "Wow, that's why we do what we do." You, you do make a massive difference, particularly given uh, how much impact you, you have in Yorkshire and, and beyond as well, Nick, in regards to to your role in the organisation. So, it, it, what would a what do you think a young Nick Atkin would make the organisation you lead now? As <laughs> obviously as a, as a as a young, fresh-faced graduate, kind of taking his first step down. <laughs> it'd probably be um it'd probably be more impatient than the older version of Nick Atkin. <laughs> um it'd probably be um I, I think the thing the big thing I learned is that um the further up you get or, or further you get up the career ladder, the less people listen to you. Um people nod and say yes, and of course we'll go away and do that, and then they just sort of we'll go, yeah, I'll just ignore what he said. We'll carry on as we were. So I think for me, the, the 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 further up in terms of your career you go, I think it's more and more and more about just relationship management, managing relationships, getting people to to want to do things, you know, through a, a combination of, of sort of um, encouragement and, and sort of positive sort of messaging. Um, and and also just spending time with people and recognizing that there's not an immediate return on investment or whatever phrase you want to put on it, but actually you know that investment in relationships does pay off at some point in in the future. Um, and you know we're humans, aren't we? And I think the pandemic has shown that you know the probably the hardest bit for many people and the reason it's had such an adverse impact on people's mental health is because. You know, as humans, we like to interact with each other um, on a personal level um, and face to face. And so, you know, that whole sort of 18 months of, of being separated or being behind a mask or you know, all those sorts of things. Um, yeah, that's why it was so incredibly difficult. So, you know, I think you, you sort of appreciate more of that. Uh, but ultimately, you know, we've got to, you know, you, the role is about, um, you know, getting people bought into what it is you're trying to do and trying to achieve, making that vision really simple, really clear, and then actually uh, delivering against it. Um, and the only way you deliver against it is to get people to buy in with with the minds and the hearts. Yeah, 
you mentioned the buy-in with the hearts and minds. I think looking from the outside, Nick, I kind of knowing you for, for a number of years now, I think one thing I always think of you is that there's some real there's a real authenticity to your leadership style, but also a courage to stay true to yourself and to challenge the status quo um, across the sector, that is, as well. So I'm really interested, though, going back kind of the Holton days as well, where do you think that came from, that kind of the ability to, to stay true to yourself and to challenge the status quo? And how has that developed? And also, how have you maintained that? Because there must be, as you mentioned earlier, there must be an element of self-doubt at times as well when, when you are challenging the status quo. Yeah, I, I suppose I, I, I look around and I just think, well, what's going on in the world around me? And, and then try and apply that to, to housing and to, you know, to my role. Mm. And I think all too often, I don't quite understand why this, why, why this is, but for many people, there's a disconnect between what goes on in their, in their life outside work versus and they step into work and apply a different set of principles and thinking. And so, you know, so for example, you know, the, the, the sort of the growth in uh, self-serve mm. as an option. Now, well, that came for me from just seeing what happened in my own life in terms of the changes in, in banking. You know, my bank went from, you know, having a branch on every high street and lots of people behind dirty perspex screens, you know, sort of, sort of shouting at you because the, the, that was the only way you could have a conversation, um, to, to one whereby, you know, it's all done via my phone or, 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 or sort of... Um, a, if it's more complex to, to a call, a call centre. So, and I just think, well, how's that happened? And, and how have they done that? And then how could we, we apply that in, in housing terms? Mm. And I think for me, it's always trying to peel it back to the bare sort of, the bare sort of, sorry, the core purpose around why you're trying to do something. So the shift to self-serve was all about uh, how do I respond to universal credit and what i mean by that is when universal credit was first being muted i remember sat there and thinking okay right so i've got all these people who currently collect a third of our income from customers who aren't in receipt of uc um but who have the means to pay generally and are used to paying generally and it was like right so as 65 percent of my income currently comes from housing benefit and is about to be transferred over to universal credit how many more people am i going to have to employ to collect the same amount of money mm. and i just thought i can just see how this would go down when i go to board and say hey i need to employ x hundred more people to collect the same amount of money quite rightly they'd be like get out of here you know that isn't happening so it's like well actually surely all that self-serve stuff releases a shed load of resources that you can then redeploy and, and, and reallocate and provide better services for those who really need it, you know, more intensive support to, to enable people to maintain the tenancy. So that's what drove it. It wasn't some sort of, uh, you know, latest whizzy idea or, you know, digital for digital sake. Digital is just an enabler. That's all mm. it does. It enables change to happen. And I think where, where it came from is, is just that need to, that, that worry that I had about how on earth am I going to collect two thirds of the income that we currently don't collect? It was paid to us via a backs transfer every four weeks. It was the best business model ever. And it was suddenly like, well, housing's now got to get into the real world. And what happens in the real world? 
actually you, you you're a bit more targeted with your resources likewise in terms of you know some of the stuff that we're doing at the moment at yorkshire housing around around the future of work you know we put our head office up for sale last summer so the summer of 2020 when most people were still sort of you know flip-flapping around around what they were going to do and how how things were going to work we'd seen the opportunity and we knew where this was going and, and i think you know that whole sort of flexible work offer we removed all our colleagues to agile home working contracts um you know we, we we've sold our head office we are downsizing massively saving huge amounts of money mm. um also generating a capital receipt which we're investing in new housing um and so you know there's that whole thing around why you're doing it well the reason we're doing it is because um firstly it's linked directly to a much better more diverse customer offer yeah. so you know housing previously pre-pandemic it was monday to friday nine till half four really in terms of the services that we offered what this has done is it's just blown a complete hole in that because it's now weekends it's now early mornings it's now late evenings you know we can because people are working more flexibly it also means we've been able to flex our service offer but we've linked the two directly the second reason and this is not good news for you, Tom, uh, bearing in mind what you do for a job. Uh, but we have spent far too much effort and time on recruitment mm -hmm. and not enough on retention. So this is also a big, big USP for us as an employer compared to others. Um, because, you know, even when some of our fab colleagues are tempted away by, by more money normally to, to another employer, you know, they'll go along and they'll walk past the the rows and rows of desks where people are sat like, you know, battery chickens uh, tapping away at keyboards and think, you know what, I really don't want this. You know, this, I've not, I've not known this for, for X number of years. And, and so I think for us, it's also a big retention element as well, because I think people's lives change. I think the way people live their lives and the way people work has completely changed as a result of the pandemic. Um, and I think that will take quite some time to, to sort of flow through. Uh, in terms of you know what that means probably for, for people over the next sort of year two years yeah. so um so sorry yeah long long answer to a really short question but how how do i you know how do i keep the faith i suppose uh testing testing some of those principles in terms of whether they stand up to scrutiny you know i'm very lucky i've got i'm surrounded by you know really really talented people i always make sure you know i, I get the best people um and and that yeah and, and our culture is very open and honest you know my colleagues have no no hesitation in in challenging me when when i've you know i've got some of my slightly more bonkers ideas um but it's also you know helpful to be able to test these these types of uh, this type of thinking and for people to say actually yeah that does that does stand up to scrutiny that is the right thing let's go with it no uh, uh, that's that's really useful to know it we talk about challenging the status quo, Nicky. You mentioned there around future of work and what you guys are doing at Yorkshire Housing. You, you, it's a well-known phrase that you've coined, the Martini Principle. So can, can you just, for those who don't know, can you just tell me a bit more about uh, you know, what, what that is and what that means? Yeah, it's uh, it's quite apt, isn't it, with the, uh, the, the re-emergence of James Bond, suddenly Martini, is a vodka martini shaker, not stuff. Um uh, Martini, um, basically, for those of you who uh, are, are younger than probably uh, 40, um, uh, the Martini had uh, an iconic series of ads which, um, and a, stra a strap line, which was anytime, any place, anywhere. 
And I think uh, that has been the principle of our approach to work post pandemic. Um, so we have something called Hub, Home and Rome. Uh, now, I know uh, you like a bit of foreign travel, uh, Tom, so I'm going to disappoint you. It's not Rome as in R-O-M-E, it's R-O-A-M. So, uh, but this is basically around the fact that um, our colleagues can, can work anywhere and we've enabled them to do that. We have, for example, a home working catalogue where people can just choose what they need to be able to work at home. And that includes furniture of different types for different scenarios, as well as the kit. Um, we've, um, you know, our focus has been on uh, the Rome element as well to enable people to work anywhere uh, seamlessly, uh, but also, you know, the, the way that we work, for example, with our, our data contracts with our mobile providers um, just enables that to, to happen uh, particularly well because God's own country of North Yorkshire um, is both beautiful um, and large, 100 miles north to south, 100 miles east to west. And there are the occasional sort of uh, spots where it's difficult to get a connection. So um, we've been working around that as well to enable colleagues to be able to literally work anywhere. And uh, as well as um, looking at hub spaces as well, some of which we will own, some of which we won't, some of which we will rent by the day, by the hour, um, or it might be a reciprocal arrangement with another housing association to use some of their space. And Quite a number of leaders have known that I'm having this conversation with you, Nick, today. And, and a key burning question as to what they want to know is, is talk to us about how you've been able to get the buy-in from your board to implement such a such a new model um, of, and way of working. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's never easy, is it? When, you, when, you, when you're sort of completely and utterly turning something on its head, such as, you know, work and the way that we work, um, it's really difficult for people to get their heads around that. And mm. I think um, for me, it's about making the business case um, mm. and not just financial, but I mean, obviously the financial elements are important, um, but I think it's actually just playing back to people what's actually happening to them and what they see around them. Because we are, I believe we are genuinely living through a revolution. I think this has been a revolutionary period. I think we're still in a revolution. We're still coming out the other end. And, and you speak to people, you know, who've, who've been in previous revolutions and they sort of say, you don't really realise it was a revolution until you come out the other end and look back and go, blimey, that was amazing. And, you know, my grandkids and great grandkids will study and yeah. write about this period that we're living through at the moment. Um, so it, it is truly revolutionary. And I think it's hard, therefore, for people to always clearly see what's mm -hmm. in front of them. So it's about painting that picture. It's about giving assurances about what the future will look like. Um, and I suppose giving giving people the, the, the confidence that... Um, there's a clear plan, but also there's some contingencies as well, um, because our our um, biggest one of our biggest challenges was what if we sell our head office before we find a smaller hub space, yeah. which interestingly is exactly what's happened. Um, so, um, you know, at the moment we are, um, uh, if you look at the homelessness legislation, we are intentionally homeless. So Leeds Council have no duty to rehouse or re-office me or my 700 colleagues. Um, so, but again, we had a plan for that. We knew what we did. We knew how that worked. And in some ways, that happening has also cemented, if you want, 
the home and Rome elements of our working approach, as well as getting people to think much more imaginatively around hubs as mm. well, where they could work if they wanted to come together to collaborate for a purpose. So um, paint the picture, remind people about where we're at and what's changed and why um, as part of a wider business case, but also have some contingencies in there as well, because it is a big step to take. And um, yeah, no, nobody's got the monopoly on being right either, have they? You know, and I, I just think it's it's really hard. And so it's lots of conversations, lots of, you know, um, trying to remove the reasons why people can't support a proposal. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how I've always worked to remove the barriers in terms of why people can't do something rather than trying to bash them over the head and shout louder to get them to do something. It's about understanding what those concerns are and addressing them and removing them from, from the conversation. And just, we talk about the board there, and then if we move it further down into a organisation culture perspective there, that you've moved a number of staff, if not all of them now, onto a home-based contract. So, and as we both know, there's a, there's a well-known saying that culture happens when your back's turned. <laughs> in, in a way, your back is turned because they're based, uh, your, your employees are now based at home. So how, how, how are you ensuring that everyone's noses are, are still pointing in the right direction and they're still buying into to the vision of your channel? I think the, it, it's, I think the one, one of the things that's come out of the pandemic is that um, I think many organisations' communications to colleagues um, and the way that they communicate has vastly improved. And that's because, you know, we've all had to think through, actually, how is this message going to land? What's the best way to get the message across? What is it people actually want to know? And, and I just think that, you know, the whole way that businesses communicate has, has just gone forward in a, in a huge step. Um, but I think the... I think the whole culture piece is, is around just um, going back to what we were talking about before about style. Yeah. It's about sort of that visibility and that authenticity and, and actually walking the talk. Um, but also, you know, having an opportunity, lots of opportunities to test the, test the water of the, of the business. Yeah. And I, I have um, every month we do a live Ask Nick. So it's just a live Q&A. Uh, sometimes it's themed, sometimes it's not. It being, you know, Yorkshire housing, it doesn't matter if it's themed anyway, people will still ask you exactly what they want to ask you, even if it's nothing to do with the subject that we've got, which is great. But it's a really interesting way of sort of getting a, a sense of, of where the business is at. We get about 300 of our 700 colleagues who, who join at, at various points in the hour. Um, but again, there's just lots and lots. I suppose what I'm trying to say is, it's more like a sort of patchwork quilt. There's loads and loads of different things and different ways that you do things, but that reinforce some of those core messages. The other thing I'd say is that I just think, you know, the whole, what's the purpose of the business? You know, what is it you're trying to achieve? It's yeah. been really clear with that mm-hmm. um, and really simple. People don't want 10 pages of bump. They just want to know what is it we're aiming to do? Um, you know, it's about a great customer experience it's about homes and places that we're proud of. It's about growth. It's about being an employer of choice. And it's being a strong, resilient and innovative business. That's it. There are five priorities. That's what we're about. Um, and most people can relate to one or more of those of those those priorities. And last question on this, Nick, before we get on to our favourite quickfire questions. We talk, we talk about 
there's an element there about the power of communication, isn't there? You say there you've got your, your asynic sessions there as well. Moving more into an agile workforce, which is which is great, there is an element where leaders will no longer have those water cooler moments, as we all like to call them, where it, in the office where you'd be able to kind of have those various different touch points with their staff. And it also, in a way, prevents the emerging leaders from listening to those off-the-cuff conversations that they may hear you having with a member of staff or the exec team to really develop their own skills as well. So what are you make, what are you doing at Yorkshire Housing to make sure that those can happen, but through a different means? I, I think some of that, of what you've asked me, Tom, um, is a bit of an urban myth. Okay. In that, in that um, I don't think many people overheard those conversations because they were normally held in a glass box that was hermetically sealed called a meeting room. Um, and so, you know, many people didn't get to hear that. You know, many leaders, uh, sorry, no, not many. There are a small number of leaders who lock themselves away um, in terms of, you know, whether it's called an executive suite or whatever, away from the rest of the business. Um, so I think some of that is, is almost a bit of a misnomer. I think what I'm more interested in is I think there's no, in terms of hub, home and Rome, yeah. I always see that as a blend. So I don't see it as one or the other or two out of three. It's a blend of all three. And for me, the value comes when you have um, a hub space that enables people to collaborate um, and come together and come together for, for a reason, not just to bang a keyboard for eight hours a day. And, and I think that's where the richness comes in. And I think that's where the value comes in. And I think moving away from a traditional office type environment with glass boxes and, you know, certain areas for certain people. And, you know, you never go to finance because, you know, they're all bloody miserable or whatever, allegedly. Um, and uh, to one way you just have a space where people use different different parts of that space for at different times in the day for different purposes and move around and you get I think we're going to get a much stronger blend and a much stronger shared learning experience than I think we've had in a pre-pandemic workspace environment um, and again you know that's another area where going back to your original question you know there's there's a leap of faith there because you know there aren't many organizations that actually view their workspaces as, as being uh, solely for that purpose uh, but that's very much the road uh, we're, we're heading down we our new hope will open uh, at the end of february um and it will be one of the most innovative and one of the the sort of market leaders outside as well as inside housing uh, sorry, inside housing, it makes it sound like a magazine, um, in, both in, inside and outside the housing sector um, of, of anywhere as a workspace. And again, why? Because it will act as a massive recruitment USP. So I'll get the very best people, but I'll also keep them. I was about to say, uh, along with that, it's the retention strategy that you touched on. Absolutely, yeah. I know that that, that must be bringing sort of beads of sweat to your forehead tom but yeah it's a it's a key thing yeah no no, no. That, that ends our podcast recording thanks <laughs> no i'm joking but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think i think that that's great uh, genuinely as, as always a really enjoyable conversation but before i let you go we've obviously got the quick fire questions which i'm really keen to to get kind of 
your answers on. So um, I'll fire away straight away. So what, what's been the most valuable leadership lesson you've learned? Uh, it's about people, not processes or policies. Um, so it's that managing relationships thing that I said before and investing the time and uh, remembering that it's not about return on investment, but actually there might be some benefits, but they might only emerge several months further down the line. What advice would you give to an aspiring leader starting out on their journey? <laughs> Have fun. Enjoy the ride. Um, you spend your best waking hours at work, so enjoy it. Um, I think on, on a serious note, well, that is a serious point, but I think, um, I think you need to remember that you're a key holder for a period of time. So you hold the keys for, for that, that business for a period of time. But at some point, you'll, you'll pass that on. Um, and also, I think the other advice I give is people see you as a leader um, and not the person. So people see me as, as the leader of Yorkshire Housing. They don't always see me as Nick. Um, and that, as such, they'll mirror your behaviours and they'll read your body language as well. So sometimes you need to act because if you look worried, the rest of the business will be worried and they look to you for calm, confident and assurance. Love that. What, what do you believe to be the key leadership qualities required in, in today's world? Yeah, that's interesting because today's world has changed post-pandemic. And I think the big word for me there is authenticity. Yeah. Um, I think you need to, you know, inspire and motivate. I think you need to be innovative. Um, you need to learn from what you see around you, what we've talked about before, and certainly not just what you see in the housing sector. And the third one I'd probably say is flexibility. You need to be able to take advantage of the opportunities as they arise and also avoid the odd pitfall. Yeah, brilliant. No, final question, Nick. One leadership book recommendation you'd give to the listeners? Has to be a book, and I'm not a big reader, so from Doncaster, so we don't do a lot of reading. Um, <laughs> but um, Sorry, any Doncaster people out there. Uh, so um, I think it has to be the one that really, really changed my view of how I deal with situations and people. A book called Sumo, Shut Up, Move On by Paul McGee. Um, three things in there really stuck with me. Uh, the beach ball analogy, um, and I'll let you read to, to find it uh, to find that out. Um, he has an equation which is E plus R equals O. So there's always events, but it's your response, the R, that equals the outcome. And that really has stuck with me. And I actually think it's true in probably 90% of of cases and then the final one uh, which is another question he asks is uh, will this be important in six months time and it does help me get things back into perspective and focus well thank you Nick. as always thank you so much for coming on and talking to us to get today yeah i genuinely can't thank you enough and i've uh, really enjoyed your insights and getting to know a bit more about your story and uh, and also a bit more about kind of what, what's housing so thank you ever so much no, likewise, I'm really, really chuffed to be able to do this. So thanks, Tom. Really appreciate it. Rob, thanks, Nick. Thank you for listening to Emerge Leadership Lessons from Berry Partners. If you enjoy listening to this episode, please like, rate and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>